If you are new here, my name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors here. Some people call me Jimmy, and that's fine too. Whatever you prefer. Um, but um, Jimmer is fine too. Yes, Justin, st- or no, Justin started that one somehow out of the blue when I got hired here. Yeah, but that's, that's good. Um, hey, we are in a study right now. I'm going to shift gears and go into our sermon series, and then we're going to sing one more song, and then I'm going to get you guys out of here. Um, and it's exciting, too. After church today, if you don't know, we have our middle school youth group that meets, which is 6th through 8th grade. They're, they're meeting up there. Um, Rooted, not Roots Church, but Rooted Bible Study is uh, going on today afterwards as well. Kevin Pruitt's leading that. And we have a missional community leaders meeting where we have 20-some missional community leaders that are going to be meeting in here um, and just getting some vision and eating some pizza and talking about missional communities at J-Road. So there's a lot going on today. So, um, and Domino's is texting me saying, we are making your pizza right now. So, you know, I just got to beat Domino's here, basically. When I see Domino's pulls up, the sermon's over. That's all you guys need to know, uh, no matter where we're at. Um, so we are in the book of 1 John chapter 2. And if you guys know 1 John uh, is a letter written to just a general letter written to all the churches in the area to combat false teachings. And uh, there's a false teacher going around teaching things that weren't true. So John wrote a letter to all the churches and trying to set the record straight um, about this. And so we're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And leading up to this, like today's verse is kind of like him just encouraging the church. It's like a couple short verses, but it's him encouraging the church. And up until this point, he's given them warning after warning after warning. And it was kind of like, at some point, maybe they could get discouraged of all these warnings John was giving them. Because this is what he says in the last couple passages. I'll just summarize it. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we make God a liar. It's like, whoa, some strong language. And then he says, if you don't walk as Jesus walked, you are a liar and you don't have the truth. Holy moly, John. John's just swinging. And and he also says, if you refuse to show love to your brother, you are in the darkness. You are blinded by the darkness. You are lost in darkness. And you are stumbling. So it's like, boom, boom, boom. Like John just lets them have it as far as like, you need to be in the light, not the darkness. You need to be about the truth, not a liar. And he kind of just lays it all on them. And here it sort of like shifts gears. And he just spends time giving them praise about Okay, I'm probably going to lighten up. I'm just going to give you guys some praise for a moment. So, you know, for us as well, there's truth in this that we could apply to our lives as well. Um, But his point was this in the first parts. Um, A true Christian confesses their sin, lives their lives as Jesus did, and they love one another. Um, And he was just making a point using extreme examples. So here he goes into this encouragement. And if, if you were reading for the first time this passage, it might be a little confusing, but I'll explain it. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. If you don't have your Bibles, it's up here as well on the screens. It says this, I am writing you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I am writing to you, dear children, because you know the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your text. 
God, help it soak into our hearts and minds this morning and help it be an encouragement to us as well. And uh, God, just use, Lord, use me as the one who's talking up here, God, uh, to just be your mouthpiece and help me just stay out of the way. And uh, God, I pray that your scripture just speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. So John is building up the church, and he's really like, if you read this for the first time, you might be confused, like, who is he talking to? Is he talking to dads and children? Is he talking to this? And he's really talking to three different groups. The first is, uh, the three groups are children, fathers, and young men. Children, fathers, and young men. And if you read it in the whole context of the, the letter, it, you could kind of tell who he's writing to. And the, when he says, dear children, like sometimes people interpret these passages as like he's writing to little children and then young men and then fathers. But if you notice throughout this letter, he refers to the church as dear children. Does that make sense? Like he refers to them as like dear children because they are his disciples that he made. So he calls them children affectionately. So we see when he says children, he's talking to the whole church. When he talks to, when he mentions fathers, he's talking to those who are spiritually mature. And when he says young men, it's spiritually weak or newer in the faith. Okay? And that's kind of the framework that he's talking to the church and, and giving these encouragements. Um, so the children is not spiritual children. It's really talking to the whole church. And so in 1 John, he, and he refers to each group twice. Children, children, fathers, fathers, young men, young men. And two of them, he gives, in two different verses, he gives the exact same praise twice. Maybe it's a poetic reason. Maybe it's just to drive his point home. But for either way, um, that's kind of how it's written. Um, so in the first part, when he's writing to children in 1 John 2.12, he says, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. On account of his name. And so to this morning, I have four reminders for you, if you're tracking with where I'm at. Four reminders. Um, and the first reminder that he gives them, and I give you, is this is your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. Yeah, definitely, amen. And it's not really, um, and he's talking to the church, like those of you who believe in Jesus, who've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, like your sins have been forgiven. Your debt has been paid. Your slate has been wiped clean. You have been given a, like a new start. And he was reminding them, and if you remember from last week, he said, if anybody claims to know the Father, but doesn't keep his commands, is a liar. Um, and, and if you look at last week, he said, um, if anybody claims he has no sin, he is like, his sins aren't forgiven. And so what he's saying is like, if you claim this, then your sins aren't forgiven. But in this whole passage, he's like, but you guys, your sins are forgiven. And so he's like, this is how you are to live your lives. Does that make sense? He's like, you are not that, your sins are actually forgiven. And so as we said, John is the closest, was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. And so his letter carries weight. I mean, all the letters carry weight, but John was with Jesus at the cross. He was with Jesus at his mo most intimate time. So it's like the, the, for this church to hear, the man who is the closest to Jesus is writing you and saying, don't worry, your sins are forgiven, was an encouragement. It's a true encouragement. It's the same thing Jesus said to the paralytic man who was lowered in from the roof. If you remember that story, it's the same thing he said to the woman of a bad reputation. He looked at her and said, your sins are forgiven. And it's the same thing that John says here. And also, if you look at the verse, it says, your sins are been forgiven on account of what? Yes, Jesus. 
or on account of his name, Jesus' name. So your sins aren't forgiven based on what you did, but it's what Jesus did for you is why your sins are forgiven. And if it was based on what we could do, we would be walking in this insecurity all the time because if we were responsible for saving ourselves, you know, am I responsible for losing my salvation? But if we were, if Jesus is the one who saved us, our sins are forgiven and his work is completed, amen? And so it was, a, it was like an encouragement. And all these encouragements that I'm going to share with you from this passage are like the best encouragements you can give to a brother or sister. Does that make sense? Like, do you guys ever feel like you just get sick of, like, empty encouragements? <laughs> like, if somebody just tries to encourage you, but there's really no substance to what they're saying, like, you're doing so good. It's like, well, how am I doing good? I don't really know, but I just want to say you're doing good. It's like, uh, I don't know. That's not really encouraging. It's not really truthful. And here he's giving, like, substance to an encouragement, and it's your sins have been forgiven. And so the second part, he says to children, is in, the second reminder and second part is in 1 John 2, 14a. He says, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. And so the reminder, too, is not only are your sins forgiven, but you know the Father, and you have a relationship with the Father. And how many of us need that reminder as well? A couple of us? Absolutely. Like, it's not so much that God knows us, but you know the Father. And if, if you remember last week, we said, if anybody claims to know the Father and doesn't keep his commands— he is a liar. But be assured, you do know the Father. I know you. You know the Father. And he knows you. And so he made it all possible. And so he eases the doubt that some of us carry. And, the, and what I hear sometimes in the church is this, is does God hear me? Does God love me? Does God, like, hear my prayers? Is God attuned to when I call out to him? Or am I just, like, calling out to the air? And John is saying, I was with Jesus, and I know that you know Jesus, and Jesus knows you. So be assured of that. And so you, if you know that God knows you and you have a relationship with them, how are you stewarding your relationship with the Father? And that would be my question for you guys. If you know that God knows you, and you know him, and you have a relationship with him, how are you stewarding that relationship? And I feel like when we get to heaven, we'll see that all the time we had on this earth— knowing the Father, having access to the true vine and the true Father, did we steward that relationship well? Or did we forget about God? Did we use opportunities when we were worried to bring those anxieties to God, or did we just hold them on to ourselves? When we had a need, did we go to God with it, or did we just keep it in ourselves? Like, how are we stewarding this God-given relationship that we have? Because God isn't a distant God. He's a personal God who knows us by name and he knows the hairs on our head. And so we're responsible for stewarding that relationship and making sure that relationship is solid. Just like with your wives, if you don't ever talk to your wife, your relationship's going to get pretty bad pretty quick, guys. And if wives, you don't talk to your husbands, the relationship's going to get bad. It's, gonna be, it's not going to be what it could be. We have to steward our relationship with God by praying, reading his word. Okay? And so John switches to fathers here in 1 John 2, 13. He says this, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And so he uses this, the same exact encouragement two times. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him from the beginning. And so we ask, is he addressing dads? Is he addressing 
moms? Is he addressing both? Is he addressing like old people in the church? You know, just by age? Um, and the best application interpretation are is that he's writing here to like the spiritually mature in the church. The spiritually mature. And we see at other times in the Bible it says, uh, one of the qualifications are for an elder are, is that they aren't a new convert. They're not a brand new convert. And so they're making sure like these are, making sure they're spiritually mature. And so the best way we can interpret that are those that are spiritually mature. It could be a 30-year-old person who's spiritually mature, been following Jesus for some time and is faithful. They could be 80 years old, but that would be considered fathers. And part of his encouragement today isn't just, you know the father, you know the one who's from the beginning, but the fact that he calls them fathers in the church is important and worth noting. And so here in Jericho Road Church and here in the church back then, you're going to be in the church, you're going to have people that are new in the faith and you're going to have people that are mature in the faith. And those that are mature should be the spiritual fathers and mothers to everybody else. Does that make sense? And so the fact that he calls them fathers implies responsibility. And so we're talking about all of us here who are mature in our faith, we have responsibility to disciple and raise up and invest in other people in the church. Your spiritual fathers and mothers. And, you know, I feel like there's times in the Bible where Paul said this to the church. It's like, by now, some of you guys have been teachers, but you're still not even on meat yet. You're still like newborn babies on milk. And he's saying we need to like mature so we could be spiritual fathers and spiritually mothers to other people in the church. And so it talks about responsibility. And so we see a couple other verses where we see this responsibility played out. And my hope for this passage is, is that each one of us feel that bearing of responsibility. Those of us that are mature in the faith, those of that have been walking with Jesus for a number of years, those of us that are faithful found Jesus, we say, oh man, I guess I am a spiritual mother and I need to start caring for other people. I need to start like investing in other people. And, or I am a spiritual father. I have a responsibility for these other people in church. So if I see somebody, you know, that needs somebody to walk alongside, I'll invite them into my missional community. I'll take them out to coffee. And I see myself as a spiritual father to other people in the church. And, and it's kind of important that he uses that term fathers for that reason. Um, Romans 15, uh, 1 and 2 says this. It's up on the screens, so you don't have to flip there. Um, it says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good and to build them up. And it's exactly what Pastor Justin was talking about up here before he called them up, is in the church, if there is a disease of consumerism, that's when you step foot into church and you say, what can I get out of this service? What can I be blessed with? Who can give me something? And he's saying here, each of us should, be, should look to please our neighbor for their good and to build them up and not just looking out for ourselves. And that's kind of the anti-consumerism message there, right? Like, if you're a spiritual father in the church, you're going to be looking at who I can invest in. And if you're a spiritual mother as well, in Titus 2, verses 3 and 4, talk about spiritual mothers a little bit. I mean, Titus in his context talked about people looking out for other people in the church, but it says this in verse 3. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. And that was just one of the encouragement. Is like, hey, if you're a spiritual mother, you should be investing in young women and training them up and showing them, you know, showing them like what is the right way, especially like new converts or people young in the church and 
Women should be investing in other people and seeing themselves as spiritual mothers. And so my question is, is who are you taking under your wing? Who are you discipling? Who have you invited to come into your missional community and, and help along? And, and, and who do you feel called to? Because the whole church needs to bear that responsibility to be spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers to other people. And for spiritual fathers and mothers, it speaks to producing and not just consuming. And if we want to be a church that's not about consumerism, we want to produce, and that means look out for other people and not just ourselves. So being called a father and mother implies that you have responsibility to look over those in the church. I'm going to skip that part real quick because I know Domino's going to be here any second. Um, so, um... I do. <laughs> I don't eat before I preach. Uh, at Jericho Road, we have 24 trained men and women who are leading missional communities or prepared to lead missional communities. This past fall, we had, or the past late summer, we had a new leaders cohort. We trained up people. These are 24 spiritual fathers and mothers that we have trained that are our missional community leaders. And they are currently leading missional communities at different places. Um, and actually 25, if you count Kevin Pruitt, who's leading Rooted after church, that's like being a spiritual father to this group and leading them through Rooted. Does that make sense? And Kevin's not a paid staff member. Uh, he's not getting paid anything. He's doing it because he sees himself as a mature believer and a father to the church. So we have 25 people who are trained men and women who are leading missional communities or prepared. And an MC leader carries the responsibility to watch over a mini church. Each missional community that, if you're, you know, you're a part of a missional community or you're leading one, that's the flock that God's entrusted to you. So all 24 of the people at J-Road are like pastors overseeing their, their, their church flock. And really Sunday morning is a collection of all these missional communities that come together and, and praise God together. And then throughout the week, they go into their homes and worship God and praise God together. Um, but all these people, they see that weight. They, they feel that weight. The way the Bible has the church operating isn't that a few in the church do all the ministry to serve the many. It really just has the many in the church are doing the work of the ministry. And the few staff leaders like myself and Brian and Jackie are the ones that are to equip the people to do the work of the ministry. And really the church has gotten backwards where a few people do all the ministry and the people come to receive the ministry. And we're saying, if you guys see yourselves as spiritual fathers and mothers, it should be the opposite. And we all should take the responsibility. And not only missional communities, if you are here like Don and Lori and you serve in the high school youth ministry, like they're spiritual father and mothers to these students, right? Lori brought her wagon and served soup, you know, to all these kids. And they had a bonfire and it was legit from what I heard. Uh, and it was pretty cool. Um, and they're being spiritual fathers and mothers to these teenagers, and God is using them in a big way. If you are serving in kids' men or middle school or preteens, you are being a spiritual father and mother as well. So, like, be encouraged. For those of us who are mature, we have to find our father-mother place in the church. Okay? So he switches here to young men, and he says this in 1 John 2. He talks to the young men who are spiritually weak or spiritually new to the faith. Um, and he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So reminder three is this. You have overcome the devil. 
or the evil one, however you say it. The Bible has many uses of the evil one, devil, the enemy, um, the evil one. And this is the first time in 1 John that he mentions us, our enemy. And, he, and it's, you guys have overcome him. So if you are, basically, for those of you that are newly saved, amen, you are strong, you have overcome the evil one, you won, the victory is won, Satan has no power over you, and really he's a defeated foe. And so that was like an encouragement to them that he wanted them to know. You have overcome the evil one. I think sometimes we give Satan more credit than he deserves. And I think as a church, we blame too much on him. And here's the thing. Satan, the Bible says, Satan is prowling around the church like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he may devour. He is looking to take you down. You have the world working against you. You have your flesh working against you. You have the outside forces like Satan and his demonic forces and spiritual warfare going on. But really, Satan is on borrowed time, and he has a short leash. And really, Satan could do—one of his two main things that he could do to the church is lie to you and tempt you. He can tempt you by your own desires and lead you astray that way, or he could lie to you and tell you things that aren't true. And that's ex exactly what John was talking about through all this. He's saying, you guys are believing lies, and it, the lies are from the evil one. And so what we talked about a couple weeks ago is we need to understand God's Word because God's Word is the basis for all that we do. It's, it's, a, it's the foundation of all truth. And primarily when I do counseling with somebody, all, am I do, all I'm trying to do is try to figure out what lies they are believing and share with them the truth of God's Word. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm not that smart. I do not have a counseling degree. I do not know. I'm sure there's really good, like, things for people that have certain specialties they need to go see a counselor for. And there is that. And I'm not saying there isn't. But when somebody comes in for marriages or somebody comes in for counseling, I try to figure out what lies that they are believing from Satan and try to get them to replace it with the truth of God's Word. Does that make sense? And many of us are believing lies about ourselves. Um... This weekend, I got a call, and some of you know the situation, but there's somebody who's kind of attended J-Road a few times, and he's been attending a missional community, and as a young man, attempted to take his own life on Thursday night, Friday night. And I get a call from one of our missional community leaders saying, this young man, you know, tried to kill himself, and, you know, could you go to the hospital and just meet with him? And I was like, yeah, you know, went on Saturday afternoon and just sat with him. And I'm like if you guys think that I know what to say in those situations, I have no idea. And if you feel like, man, I wish I was a pastor because you might no, be experienced. I'm not experienced in that. I don't, I mean, I've dealt with it a few times, but I don't know what to say. And if you are feeling that way as the church, that's okay too. Like, I don't know what to say either. <laughs> I just sit down with them and let them know I care about him. I'm there for him. And I really just share with them a lot of things I share with you today. God loves you because this young man's a believer. God loves you. What are the lies you believe in? Your sins are forgiven. God doesn't want you to do this. And I just shared these things and just gave him these words of affirmation. And, and I just said, you know, come in this week. You know, I work here. You, you're free to come in, you know, and we could talk about it. 
but I didn't really have any super big words of wisdom other than just telling him I care about him and sharing him from God's word. Because something is, he's believing a lie that said it's not worth it to me to be on this earth anymore. And I'm saying, if you still have breath in your lungs, God's still going to use you here on earth. Amen? I don't care if you're here today and you're 85, 90 years old, or you're 12 years old. God has you alive for a purpose and a reason. It's to expand his kingdom. It's to know his will, to do his will. And he loves you. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. And that's what John is saying here is, you've overcome the devil. Don't believe his lies. And last but not least, and the worst team come up here for this, and this is last encouragement. And I shared this with my friend that I met with yesterday, is Jesus lives in you. And reminder four, and you might be thinking from 1 John 2, 1, it says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Like, how do I get Jesus lives in you to the word of God lives in you? When John's talking here, if you read the book, of, the gospel of John, chapter 1, and you read 1 John, chapter 1, he always refers to Jesus as the word of God. The word of God. The word was with God. The word was God. And so he says, you have overcome the evil one and the word of God is in you. And he's not just saying you memorized the Bible. He's saying Jesus lives in you. When Jesus promised to never leave us and never forsake us, he was saying that God, the Holy Spirit, was going to come down and indwell us. And so Jesus is actually living within us. Does that make sense? We have a helper that's in us always that's there to guide us through tough times, that's there to give us peace that surpasses all understanding. It's there like yesterday when I went to the hospital. It's the one that gives me the words to say when I have no idea what to say. And I just say, God, the whole way I'm driving there, just speak to me. Give me something to say. And honestly, I'll go in there and not say a word until I feel like God's like telling me to say something. Just say hi, you know. And I want God to speak through me. And I think for young Christians for young people, we just need to know that you have the Holy Spirit. You do know God. You've overcome the devil. He has no power over you unless that's what you give him. And we need to cling to him. We need to cling to our relationship with God. So that was the encouragements that John gives the church. And then next week he goes into, now, if you go into the world, this is how you're supposed to act when you're in the world. And we'll talk about that next week. And it's a whole different thing. But today was just about encouraging them. Like you do know God. Your sins are forgiven and you've overcome the devil. So let's pray.